Yeah, thank you very much. There's Otto Kuhnle. He is the funniest man from Düsseldorf and the Fatherland's foremost Jodelmeister. <laughs> and more from Herr Kuhnle later. But today we are discussing the most important aspect of British everyday life, shopping. Yeah, consumerism. And uh, shopping, just like life in Britain in general, is all about knowing your place. And even after 10 years in the UK, I sometimes don't know my place, as I recently found out when I tried to move house uh, to Zone 1. <laughs> uh, central London, yeah? Until I realized that uh, Zone 1 accommodation is exclusively for two groups of people, millionaires and people on benefits. <laughs> uh, and as I'm knees, I had to stay put on the outskirts of Tooting. <laughs> in it. Uh, <laughs> Governor. Uh, even Zone 1 rent prices are still quite moderate compared to Zone 1 cinema prices. Uh, recently went to Leicester Square uh, to watch a movie. 16 quid. Prices like that have not been seen since the end of hyperinflation in 1920s Germany. And we all know what that ultimately led to. Even less available affordable property in central London. Stealer. No, uh, no, I initially wanted to call this episode Town Planning, but Paul, the producer, considered the title Town Planning too dull, as well as too controversial, seeing Germany's impact on the design of British town centres some 70 years ago. And I must admit I can understand his reservations, as I vividly remember my first trip to Coventry. Now, walking the town, I felt a considerable amount of guilt for the German air raids that destroyed what must have been a beautiful city full of Tudor buildings. And I felt really awkward, particularly when I saw right in the town centre, right next to the two cathedrals, a beautiful mock Tudor building. It's massive. And there I was, marvelling at the size of the beautiful building right in the town centre, thinking, how did we miss that? <laughs> Now we can all laugh about it now, can't we? <laughs> well, let's get down to business and let's describe the British High Street. The worst element of every High Street are the chain charity shops. Evil enterprises uh, get their stock for nothing. <laughs> from gullible people thinking they're doing a good deed when donating to those so-called charity shops. Now, seeing they get the stock and even staff for free, charity shops can sell their tet for prices an independent shop can't compete with, driving them out of business, making them lose their existence, and that way cynically getting them as new customers. <laughs> Let's have a look in the Oxfam bookshop. They've always got a great selection of Lonely Planets from 20 years ago. <laughs> the one about Greece that has all the prizes in drachma will be particularly useful again soon. 
The charity shops are the worst con on the British high street. Tell you what, I rather set fire to my old belongings. Yeah, in total disregard for my carbon footprint and rising oil prices, I rather set them on fire than give them to a charity shop. And, well, if this sounds harsh, judging by your non-approving reaction, uh, <laughs> which it might, I, mean, I must admit I have massive difficulties understanding the British concept of charity. You know those emails. Hello. Sorry for not having been in touch for years. And now only with this round robin. Anyway, I'll be doing a fun thing I always wanted to do. Please give generously. <laughs> uh, I, I know someone who went on a 100k fell walk in the Yorkshire Dales. And he was genuinely angry with me for not donating any money for him doing that. Told him that where I'm from, him going for a walk. It's not an activity that should set me back. <laughs> and it's always friends that are asking. And there's no shortage of people I would happily pay a few quid to if I would have never ever have to see them ever again. <laughs> and there's always friends that'll ask for support for their six months trip to Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> Sunbathing on the Copacabana and watching football at the Maracana for charity. <laughs> 66 on the Harley for charity. <laughs> I'm skiing to the South Pole for charity. I'm going whoring in Bangkok. <laughs> for charity. <laughs> uh. Yeah, timing. Uh. <laughs> I was too excited. Yeah. <laughs> but there is no escaping the fact life in Britain is all about supporting good causes and everyone's chipping in. And the former cricketer Ian Baltham, uh, he showed his commitment uh, to charity by walking from Land's End to John O'Groats, Eddie Izzard by running 50 marathons in 50 days and, and David Williams by swimming across the Channel and down the Thames for comic relief, or to be more precise, his own ego. <laughs> well, they're all very British achievements, aren't they? Walking very far, running a lot, swimming very far, all very British achievements, because bugger all is being produced. <laughs> uh, other than excitement. Uh, one day, I hope someone comes up to me and says, Henning, will you sponsor me? I'm going to rebuild British industry. <laughs> For charity. <laughs> the other indicator of a city's prosperity is the degree of dilapidation of the local shopping centre. Now, everybody remembers the great opening. The local MP was there. Someone who came forth on X Factor three years previously uh, cut the ribbon. Uh, for the kids, there was a bouncy castle and face painting. And for the adults, there was a Bucks Fist tribute band. <laughs> and we're talking one of the proudest days of any town's history. But it never lasts. Old shopping centres are cheaply built, and with no one taking ownership, they'll become an eyesore before long, and we'll be standing largely empty in ten years' time. But not to worry, it's Birmingham. UK's second city uh, has proven time and again, uh, simply built a new shopping centre. <laughs> and then another one, and another one. Welcome to the new bullring! We have several horrendous derelict shopping centres in near proximity. 
Man, we pretend we don't. <laughs> and open this new one, that'll be horrendous in ten years' time. <laughs> in an advanced society, say Germany, uh, the high street is for buying goods with money earned at one's workplace, and everyone understands that consumption and prosperity are the results of high productivity. In the UK, all that hard work is taken out of the equation. <laughs> and the whole country believes that if only there is enough being spent on the high street, economic success is guaranteed. <laughs> and the words production, manufacturing or productivity are never even mentioned. Yeah, it's all reminiscent of Baron von Münchhausen's tale, yeah, in which he pulled himself out the moor by his own hair. Uh, difference that in, in Germany is considered a laughing stock. <laughs> in the UK, he would be a contender to become Chancellor of Exchequer. <laughs> no sooner had England, I'm sure you remember that, no sooner had England overcome Croatia to qualify for the last World Cup, and papers were full of stories that the high street would benefit from a nationwide 1.2 billion spending spree on booths and big TVs. As far as I understand, overindulgence and frittering away money one doesn't have, deriving from a false sense of entitlement, have been the main contributing factors behind the recession in the first place. But what do I know? I... Luckily, there is never a shortage of good news. England's made it to the European Championships. Great news for the high street. Shifting loads of beer and barbecues. <laughs> For an outsider, it's hard to understand how a months-long bender with zero productivity, <laughs> followed by a two-year hangover, <laughs> is a way to kickstart an economy. The royal wedding is on. Great news for the high street. Shifting loads of plastic flowers and union jacks. <laughs> economic policies can even be replaced by something as mundane as meteorological forecasts. Phew! What a scorcher. Great news for the high street. Shifting loads of shorts and sunglasses. It's pissing it down. Great news for the high street. Shifting loads of umbrellas. There'll be a shit storm. Great news for the high street. Shifting loads of cagoules and bleach. <laughs> And the only storm not good for the high street is the debt storm. And even that's good news for payday loan shops. <laughs> the only places in British society where genuine ambition is still being rewarded are those all-you-can-physically-eat Chinese restaurants. <laughs> Earlier this year, I went to one in Lincoln, and I'm happy to report that perseverance dedication and competitive spirit are indeed alive and kicking <laughs> in Britain 2012. Whilst visits to a carvery suffer from the logistical nightmare of having to balance two kilos of meat, veg and potatoes on the one single plate you're allowed, there is no need for any sort of self-control at a Chinese restaurant with its unlimited supply of plates. And the whole restaurant came together and there was a great camaraderie amongst Lincolnshire's most committed eaters. Every single one of whom was determined to cause maximum damage to the buffet by relentlessly blitzing it time and again. Bravely taking helping after helping of unidentifiable matter covered in gloopy MRSA sauce. 
there was an unrivaled triumph of willpower over taste and restraint. <laughs> and as such, not too different from a traditional family Christmas. <laughs> Mind you, there is one city that manages to pull off a version of the Münchhausen trick at infinitum. Blackpool. <laughs> Now, they managed to implement a totally self-sufficient economic model up there. It's based on everyone buying booze off each other at different times of the day. <laughs> and the only people in Blackpool with a job outside the booze cycle are the donkeys on Pleasure Beach. <laughs> and they too look hungover. But to give us more of an insight of what makes the Brits do what they do in shops, welcome to the stage, homestyle consultant, star of changing rooms, DIY SOS and house gift, welcome to the stage, Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen! <laughs> Is it fair then to say that Brits really do like to spend money and really do like shopping? That's a fair assumption, isn't it? No, it's, it's absolutely true. I think it is much more complicated. There is an innate feeling with Brits that we, we like to celebrate the fact that we can buy things. You're absolutely right. We are buying an enormous amount of stuff that doesn't really impact our lives, affect our lives, make our lives better. And, and it is then being completely regurgitated into charity shops. I mean, you, you haven't touched on I don't know whether you've uh, um, met this fabulous phenomenon yet of uh, what we call a boot fair. Have yes, you been to a boot yes, fair? Yes, yes. Uh, who goes booting? <laughs> I've got a feeling that there is a, a finite amount of tat that just keeps getting recycled. <laughs> that you go to a boot fair and buy it because it's a pound and then you take it home and then you have your own boot fair the next week to sell it on again. And it becomes a bit like a kind of a, a, a contagion. It's a bit like a sexually transmitted disease. You know, there's one object, this kind of, you know, Murano ashtray, that has no use or point, just gets transmitted from person to person like herpes. <laughs> you Germans should beware. I know it's all looking lovely for you at the moment, but never forget that I had my bottom pinched by Angela Merkel once, and um, I, I feel as if I'm a lot closer to your economic truths as a result. <laughs> Something was passed on, and it wasn't a Murano ashtray. <laughs> so, and on what occasion, that is now the obvious question, on what occasion did that uh, bum feeling... To be uh, fair, it was more a cupping. Um, <laughs> but, nonetheless, it was in a bar in Hamburg. Maybe it was a case of mistaken identity on her account. I knew it was her. I could tell by the trouser suit. <laughs> Sarkozy will be jealous no end. <laughs> Talking about shopping, I mean, where do you shop? Can we find you down the TK Maxx? <laughs> <laughs> I have people to do that for me. In fact, the TK Maxx phenomenon is fascinating because you're compelled to buy this shiny designer stuff because of how much it costs. But I completely agree with you about how difficult it is shopping for clothes, which is why I've now gone back to the straightforward British thing, which is to have a tailor who knows your size, who makes your clothes, and therefore there's no trying on. The process of shopping can be very intimidating, which is why I think the point of shopping is to never do it sober. Um, <laughs> which, you know, you go to a decent shop and they give you a glass of champagne before you start, and that's fine. <laughs> You're on Perfect. rails, then. You're on rails. You'll buy anything, then. Yeah, I only know them places where they stand outside with a bottle of cider. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you need to up your game. And this is one no, of the things... I know, I know. <laughs> I love you 
for the fact that you are persevering with knitwear with a zip. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's so improbable. My one advice is to keep moving, because otherwise the V&A will list you. <laughs> well, but the good thing about this zip, I mean, this will not, not make for great radio, I suppose, but the great thing is, see, I can regulate my body temperature <laughs> extremely precisely. Oh, it's a bit tighter. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> just do it up three, and then... Ooh, I love the fact you're counting the teeth of the zip. I think you should have little numbers embroidered on it, so that you know, you know, you say, oh, gosh, 30 degrees, down two teeth. <laughs> I mean, it must be difficult for you being German. Um, because... Yeah, and all the other problems of a human existence. Because <laughs> your, um, uh, your lovely companion there, um, he, he's rocking the German look with the, the little hat and the rather strange fold-back lapels. Um, and, and the big, squeezy bra thing <laughs> makes music. I think that one of the problems that, that you Germans obviously have is trying to embrace the 21st century. <laughs> you know, move on. Move on from the shaving brush in your hat. And as you say, the leather trousers. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, that's like being clapped by a firing squad. <laughs> So, Otto, have you ever been clothes shopping here in the UK? Uh, Havin, why should I? Uh, <laughs> I got, as we do in Düsseldorf, I've got my one pair of leather trousers. And uh, they are inherited from my grandfather. Well, uh, he, he first gave them to my father, and he gave them to me. And uh, anyway, they are what still... What colour are they? Now they are brown. <laughs> what do you wear with them? Uh, yeah, yeah, shoes. Always shoes. <laughs> I like shoes and a hat. And the rest you can, but it's not a must. <laughs> well, on that lovely image... Uh... <laughs> Just discussed with Lawrence wanting independent shops and holding on to a local identity. That is all good and well. But let's have a look at the one service industry that is independently run. B&Bs. Bed and breakfast. And they're predominantly horrific. <laughs> and believe you me, as every touring performer, salesperson and lady of the night will tell you, there is a lot of false advertising when it comes to accommodation. I mean, talk about staycation all you like. But it's not going to happen as long as royal in hotel names is mostly a euphemism for hasn't seen a lick of paint uh, or a new mattress since Victorian times. <laughs> and B&Bs, they also stop serving breakfast at 6am <laughs> to make sure no one will ever take them up on the offer. <laughs> the only thing worse than getting up at 6am to find out they stopped serving breakfast is finding out breakfast is still being served. <laughs> And there's one place they'll never be accused of too much authenticity and local identity, and that are retail parks on the outskirts of towns. <laughs> a lot of practical reasons, such as free parking outside the front door and all goods in one place, do speak for shopping there, especially if you're a big family or short of time. But what confuses me is when people spend their leisure time voluntarily in those complexes. 
For example, there is a weekly comedy gig at the cinema in a retail park near Bristol. They are absolutely fascinated by the event and always try to understand the audience's decision-making process. They must go, I tell you what, darling, I'll show you a good time tonight. Get in the car. No, we're not going into the historic town centre tonight. Let's drive to the retail park instead. And we'll be having dinner at Nando's. <laughs> before going to watch some live comedy in the cinema next door. In a screening room that by its very nature is designed to absorb sound. <laughs> and as such is totally unsuitable for any form of live performance that requires building an atmosphere. <laughs> And by blandness and not using all one's senses is not a recent phenomenon, but one with a proud British tradition. I mean, I remember a glorious day on the Gower Peninsula near Swansea. Sun was out, tide coming in, sandy beach and steep cliffs. Amazing. Twenty cars parked on top of the cliff and people sitting in their cars, not getting out. <laughs> not getting out for fresh air, but remain seated in the car, drinking tea from a flask. And generations of British people have spent family trips driving up to beauty spots <laughs> and then driving home again. And it's not only old people, also young ones. And there were even more than two people sitting in one car. I mean, what experience will the ones on the rear seats have had? <laughs> people always claim to wish for authenticity, but how much authenticity? do people really want? After 10 years in the UK, I've become the go-to guy for German events and pseudo-German events in the UK. My favourite run of events every autumn, German BFS in Scotland. They're rough. <laughs> I mean, those BFS, they've been drinking session and a half. And they obviously need some on-stage entertainment because otherwise they couldn't get it past the licensing laws. So, and the on-stage entertainment is always provided by an umpa band. And the most popular Oompa band in the UK, they're called The Hair Flicks. <laughs> After that, allo allo character. Yeah, and The Hair Flicks, they're Terry, Lee and Andy. They're three Geordies. And they haven't got a word of German between them. And they're absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, mean, they're abs I mean, they have been the stars on the British Oompa circuit. And yes, it does exist. <laughs> they have been the stars on the British Oompa circuit for the last three decades, yet they still haven't got a single word of German between them. It's incredible. They get the tune spot on, but the words they just make up. <laughs> yeah, it's the equivalent of putting on a Chinese night and go, na 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 na. And I wonder how comfortable British people would be attending that sort of event. <laughs> These days, probably in a time of uh, cheap airfares, you might be asking yourselves, well, if the organisers put in that much effort organising an authentic German beer do, why don't they go the extra mile and get an actual Umpa band over from Germany? Tell you why they don't do that. Of course, a German Umpa band could never ever do the job as well as the Afflicks. <laughs> Because a German Umpa band simply wouldn't know the most popular tunes at German beer fest in the United Kingdom. Because they wouldn't know the theme tune to Dad's Army. <laughs> if I get married, I'll definitely book the Airflicks. 
that mainly confused the hell out of the Germans that come out. <laughs> they look all right, but what are they doing? <laughs> what? what is it? Herr Kuhnle. You have to go to a restaurant from time to time. That's the reason I was writing a song about going out in a restaurant, and this song is called Good Food. Yadi, yodi, lady, hi-ho. Life is good when you have good food, have good food, have good food. But life is sad when the food is bad, life is sad. Here is my advice for when the food is not nice. I tell you now, I'm never wrong. You'll be grateful for this song. So when a slab of meat is your dish, looks and smells like rotting fish, or something else instead. If that is off, take bread. But of course, the bread is mold infested and the chef deserves to be arrested. If the salad looks like toxic waste, ask for it to be replaced. Everybody, yodi, yodi, lady, hi-ho. Life is good when you have good food. Life is good. If you're on a fancy restaurant and everything seems brilliant, you expect to dine like a king, but then the microwave goes ping. <laughs> Breakfast is the best way to ease yourself into the day. Bless and slow and very gentle, then you're half incontinental. But when your breakfast makes you sick and you need a bucket very quick, your stomach's full anguish, then it's called the full English. <laughs> Yadi, Yadi, Yodi, hi ho. Life is good when you have good food. Life is good. If you're fed up with bad food every day and you just want to run away, if you're not happy with what we what we're eating, then you know you are in great pretend. <laughs> Yadi, Yodi, lady, hi ho. Life is good when you have good food. Life is good. Yum, yum, yum. And we have learned quite a bit today. If you don't like your shopping center, don't worry, there'll be another one shortly. <laughs> German BFS are the dog's bollocks. <laughs> oh, well, that's not bad innings for 26 minutes of radio entertainment. Thanks so much for listening and tune in next week when I teach you uh, telekinesis. <laughs> That was Henning Knows Best, hosted by Henning Wehn, that's me, and featured Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen, the wunderbare Otto Kuhnle, and was written by the cast, and Kent Valentine and Liam Malone. It was produced by Paul Russell and was an open mic production for BBC Radio 2. Best. Hang in, hang in, he knows best.